Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, each week, we like to have guests that can assist us in living on purpose, success strategies for life, insights on principles for living a more fulfilling life. And today is no exception. Actually, this individual, we've known each other for, she might not even remember, for over 25 years. So welcome to the show, Jane Atkinson. Jane, thanks for being on the show with us. Uh, Thank you for having me, Ken. And I remember all the way back there. (laughs) Oh, you do. You do. do. And the story behind the story, and we'll get to know you in a minute, you know, you're an expert in helping, you know, other professional developers, especially speakers, to optimize their presence, optimize their message. And that's really when we got to know each other is when you were um, solely working with Peter Legg. And you were so successful that Peter says, listen, I, I, can't, I can't work that much. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I do recall saying, uh, Jane, sell me, sell me, please. <laughs> so I still remember that conversation. So, Jane, let's, let's just go right back to the beginning. You know, where were you born? Where did you grow up? What sort of your history before you got into uh, your work life? This, well, I actually was born in London, Ontario, and I've come full circle. I've lived all over the place, and then I landed back here because of my parents getting a little bit older. But uh, I was born here, and I traveled extensively, lived in Australia for a while, and then came back home. Oh, and what's, what's the Australia story? How did well, that happen? I, 25 years old. I decide I would like some adventure. I had worked. I always had fun jobs, Ken. So some of my first jobs involved, um, you know, working at the ski resort, Sunshine Village out in Banff, you know, working for the VP of marketing there. And then while I was there, I met lots of Australian and Kiwis and I decided, okay, I'm going to go over there for a year. So I went and worked and traveled the entire perimeter of Australia, lived there for a year, had jobs that ranged from slinging drinks on a cruise ship to actually um, working on a fishing trawler. With no way. Captain and myself, you know, trawling for prawns all night long, get up in the morning. And my job as the deckhand is to sort through what came off of the Great Barrier Reef into our net. It was the most amazing thing, Ken, when I think back, you know, if my child went to do that today, I'd be like, what? That is not happening. But I did check this guy out and uh, it all worked out in the end. But we had just the most amazing experience seeing everything from the Great Barrier Reef in this big giant net. So this was back when I was still in the mode of let me just have as much fun as humanly possible in my life. And then I came back to Canada after that, and I thought, okay, I'm 25. I should maybe start to think about my career. I had gone to college for computer programming. Wow. I would have never guessed that one either. (laughs) My brother said to me, you know, I think this computer thing is going to be something. (laughs) This was back in the 80s. And so I said, okay. And I went and I got just a degree at our local community college out in Halifax. and never really did, wanted to go and sit beside a big giant mainframe and make 
nothing went wrong. So I immediately um, started temping and I always had really interesting jobs, you know, two and company, big accounting firm that is called, been called many things since then, uh, Deloitte Touche, and then um, an airline. And then I transferred out to Banff and worked in the ski resorts. And then I went to Australia. But I always, even when I came back, I always had two jobs on the go at any time. I would bartend or waitress at night, and then I would do something in a day job. And my last job before coming into this industry was 3M. They kept hiring me back for different contracts. Oh, there was a radio station and some other fun things before that. But I was learning this whole time about business as I was going through these temp jobs. And the last one at 3M, um, I went, they had a speaker in. And I wasn't allowed to go because I was the receptionist. And I had to uh, listen to the phone. But they knew I really wanted to go. And somehow... Uh, they got me some time with this speaker to talk about what it was and they got me her book and everything. And I thought, Oh, that's really cool. And then I saw a Les Brown live your dreams PBS special. Wow. And I thought, mm, that's it. That's my next job. I'm going to go work for a motivational speaker. So I wrote up this amazing letter to Les Brown. Hey, I want to come and work for you. And a few weeks later, I got back an order form from his office for his products. <laughs> so, wow. Well, that was really later, uh, that I, was really building, wasn't it? Year now, la- years think- later, he and I had a good laugh about that because I actually did meet him a number of years later. But I had said, I'm going to go work for a motivational speaker. Well, and then I said it out loud to some of my coworkers and a girl working there said, oh, my gosh. My best friend just left 3M. She was a VP. Now she's going to become a motivational speaker. Fine. So we get paired up. Her name was Betska Kaber. And oh, of course. Betska and I are friends from way back. I've been through See? her coaching. I, I thought you might know Betska. And yeah. she wrote a book called Creating Champions. She had right. finished the book. She had a little toddler at home. and um, So you were living in London at this time then? I'm back in London and I circled back here because my parents were getting a little bit older and I wanted to be closer. And so, um, so Becca was three years basement office, straight commission. She went off. Um, she had a stack of car business cards that she handed me and said, okay, I've got four weeks training with Chrysler and then two weeks vacation. I'll see you in six weeks, kid. <laughs> Take or swim. Boom. Here's your card. Well, that's how I got to know Betska because Betska and I did that Chrysler project together. Right. And, and I was doing the uh, West Coast and the team leader out here. And that was in 1992. Right. Now, before we continue on this, I want to go back. Where did you get your work ethic from? Where did, I mean... Not everybody is doing two jobs and traveling all over and just where did you get this courage to kind of step out as a young person and do all this? I don't know. Well, you know, maybe my brother and my brother actually passed away when he was 53, which is the same age I am right now. And that was maybe seven years ago. And um, he always had good ideas for me. He's the one who said, I think this computer thing is going to be something. And he was always encouraged me, you know, just go hang out in the, on the Halifax waterfront and start a lemonade stand. Like he had this very entrepreneurial spirit about him. He traveled to South America when I was a teenager. And 
I was just always inspired by his uh, adventure and his entrepreneurial spirit. Wow. And so wow. I think that's probably where it came from, Ken, because my dad was an engineer. I mean, he worked for a bank and there was not a lot of, entre- I mean, my dad right up until the point where he passed, he used to laugh at me. Oh, what's going on today? It's Friday. Are you taking the day off? Ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, yeah, I am, Dad. He could never figure out how I made as much money as I did, yet worked as little as I did. He, he just really, it was baffling to him in his engineer mind. Of course, because so his has more structure. So, wow. So now you're, you're transitioning. Thank you for that, Jane. That was awesome. And so obviously, I mean, I think one of the tidbits there, is don't underestimate the power of mentoring or modeling or encouragement towards others. Yeah. He, he probably was just, you might not even been conscious at that time about how much he was influencing you. Jane, yeah, just go spread your wings, go have some fun yeah. and enjoy. Maybe your parents weren't against it, but they weren't necessarily encouraging it either. So with that, here you are, you have no idea about this profession. <laughs> you just happen to be interested and keen and you run into Betska K. Burr, and, yeah. and then what? Well, like I said, she gives me a stack of business cards, and she says, uh, I'll be gone for six weeks. So um, I think we were together for maybe one week first, and I started to learn a little bit about how to sell her. I'd gone out to, to see her speak a couple of times, and basically it was back then smiling and dialing. I just got on the phone and started calling people. And from that, we had some success. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, we're doubling her business every year for those three years. And she sent me to my first NSA meeting that I went to in Washington, D.C., which was a very cool full circle moment when I went back and spoke there um, 30 years later in Washington at NSA. That was kind of a weird full circle moment. But uh, she sent me there. And at that event, speaking of mentors and what have you, I met probably 10 people who would be hugely influential in my career for the next 30 years. So I met, you know, people like Joe Calloway. And Joe and I have been friends. We just emailed each other this week have been friends for this entire time. And that was, you know, 30 years ago when I first saw him up on the main stage, I thought, wow, that guy looks like fun. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him. And we became friends and um, yeah, it's just, it is amazing how an association or an industry can give you such framework. And I really have attributed everything I've ever learned from the Canadian and the U S speakers associations. They have been tremendous for me. Well, it's interesting for those people who are not part of our industry directly. I went my first one, Brian Lee, actually. I don't even know how I have to forget how I learned or met Brian, but invited to Dallas in 1989 to Mm -hmm. my first NSA. And what I was really shocked at is how friendly everybody was and how open they were. So I guess one of the things I want for the listeners is that what association, what group can you belong to to expand your career or your your quest for what your purpose is that you can relate to? Now, I want to come back, Jane, because that's a good tidbit that, you know, this affiliation, this association with other people that have been successful, that know the industry, whatever industry it is, is extremely valuable. Let's just come back for a second. 
you are um, uh, Green Pea making these calls for Betska, <laughs> and you just glossed over, oh, yeah, well, we tripled her uh, business. <laughs> How did you do that? What was Jane doing to be able to kind of grow this business for Betska? I mean, you said you were, you were dialing and smiling, which is kind of, okay, you're a friendly caller, but what was it that you were doing? And, well, and so to share with your with our listeners, really what you would take by reflecting back on that, what was it that you were doing that caused you to be successful at that time? Well, she had kind of gone before me and figured out what needed to be done in the industry. We sat at the feet of a gentleman named Tom Winninger, who you may know of, and he had this book at one and book at two series of audio tapes. And I, I met did, Tom. I, I, I spoke on the same stage with him back yeah. in years ago. Yes. He, he's a cool man. And so we, we devoured his, his information. And, and so I developed this kind of, I, and I think I got this from that very first Les Brown um, recording that I watched over and over again on VHS. Uh, he said something about your car being your university on wheels and how education was your path to wherever it was that you wanted to go. And so I learned that this whole call, send, call idea was what was going to make it happen. And so um, back then, I didn't know I was being a hustler, but I was being a hustler. And I say that not in a derogatory term, because this year's focus, this year, our motto is focused hustle. We are going to get out there and we're going to make it happen and we're going to do it in a very focused manner. It's not hustling just for the sake of hustling. So mm-hmm. back then, making like 50 calls a day, that was just what I did. I I heard that that's what you needed to do. I decided it was a numbers game. And so that's what I did. And I don't think it was until I, so there was Beska for three years and then I got recruited out to Vancouver for Peter Leg for two years. That's now, how did Peter? How did Peter find out about you? <laughs> we met at NSA. He was on the main stage, I think, potentially at my very first event that I saw. He was there representing Canada, and I wrote him and said, "Oh, you represented Canada beautifully." And we just started a friendship. And uh, at the end of my three-year term with Betska, he said, "You need to come and work for me." So here I go from base and office, straight commission. I mean. Ken, it was a real slog. It was, it, it, it was a hard job, um, and I was very fortunate. I uh, didn't have a lot of expenses at the time. I didn't have a mortgage, so that made a huge difference in being able to do that job and get my feet wet. And then I go from that to being recruited out to Vancouver to work for Peter Legg, and we're flying around in private jets and helicopters, and I have the corner office right next to his. I mean, it could not have been a more vast difference in terms of job experience. Um, but he couldn't believe, you know, my systems and my philosophy and my work ethic because I remember there was a hundred people working for his company, Canada Wide Magazines. He owned twenty different publications, probably more like thirty now um and and i would be the last one there at night and because i was you know sending out my packages and you know i was still doing the call send call idea but i think i learned the power of leverage then ken um the idea that if i could teach six speakers bureaus how to sell peter as well as i could sell peter 
then I would have the power of leverage. And somewhere along my NSA journey, that idea stuck. Mm. So um, now when you say about your systems, uh, where do you, I mean, where do you get this kind of persistence? There's lots of people I've known. We've hired salespeople at CRG over the years and very few, less than 5% have that sort of tenacity that you're talking about. What, what was driving you? I mean, if you were really, um, it was a real tough slog with Betska, but what kept you going and staying in the industry in you spite know, of that? That's really interesting. I think back then I felt the need to be successful. I think what drove it was, you know, some deep seated strange need that I had to go back to my high school reunion and say, you know, I sure did well for myself or something. And and that's what I tapped into in the early days. Honestly, that went away because I couldn't, I, I've never gone back. I would never go back. It just doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, other people's opinions really stopped working for me. And I will say that my why changed. So up until maybe around the Peter Leg years, it was the why was, you know, I'll show everybody how successful I could be. And then I got recruited down to Dallas and I lived there for six years. And I think my why was still kind of in that same arena. But then I got a coach and my my why shifted. And my coach at that time helped me imagine a life, the life that I really, really wanted. We recognized that that whole, you know, high school reunion thing just didn't, it really didn't matter. And what I really wanted was this life that I was kind of in control of. And, and I didn't know how anything that I wrote down on the paper, you know, when I mapped out what I wanted my life to look like, I didn't know how it was going to happen. And he encouraged me not to worry about that, which was a good thing to encourage me for because I would have thought I would have limited myself, but I wrote it all out. And here I am probably 20 years later and it's all come true. Wow. So I think, uh, Jane, the insight for the listeners is that if you're not clear about what you really, really sort of want, then there's really no way to get there. And taking the time investing in yourself. I mean, that's why I wrote my recent book, The Quest for Purpose, right? Mm. Is to give people a roadmap to do what the coach did with you. Now, think about that, Jane. 20 years ago, coaching wasn't really that common. It wasn't a thing. No. It, it, it is now. It is now. And if you don't have a coach now, like, excuse me. But if, I, and I want to back up one second because um, <laughs> no, we gloss over some things here, girl. So, <laughs> um, uh, Mrs. Jane, is <laughs> you were working with Peter, and right. I know Peter is one of the, you know, we I interviewed him recently, and he was just talking about, you know, what he did to be successful, and he's a gentleman. I just love him. But with that being said, then uh, what was the main reason leaving Peter? You know, I, I'm going to be brutally honest, and I really think it was just self-sabotage. I went from this basement office situation, really kind of, you know, never really making a lot of money. We did well, but we didn't, I didn't make a lot of money into Peter's office and live in this high life. And I don't think I felt deserving. So yes, 
I was booking him too much and we had too much success and really his family was all worried that I was going to kill him. And I was worried I was going to kill him. I just didn't want any part to do with that. That was part of it. But really, I think underneath it all, I did not feel worthy yet for that kind mm. of call. So I went from, you know, maybe a thirty or $40,000 a year up to a hundred and it was just too fast. And so I think looking back on it now, I um, imploded. <laughs> and so, and it's true. I mean, he was so upset with me leaving it, and I was so upset to leave him because we really truly had that mutual respect for each other. And we, I loved working for Peter Legg. I, we would always meet for these like seven in the morning breakfast because I couldn't get him any other time of the day. And, you know, I'd say, okay, Peter, we're going to do this and this and this. And he would just be like, okay, you know, and he's along for the ride. But then it comes time for him to do all this work. He has to go and fly places and uh, do all these speaking engagements. And I just think it was just too much for him, too. Mm. So really, it was a great relationship, but it just wasn't the right idea because I think it, we just had too much success. And that's an interesting problem too. That might be for another podcast that we can talk about, but I think that's a good insight for individuals. And there's all kinds of research that if I don't have sort of my internal thermometer, if you want, or set point on success is something where interesting, we need to kind of grow into. I mean, that's why most lottery winners five years later are more miserable than when they won it because they've, they've never really become the person that can manage that wealth or manage that success. And it is something where, you know, when we grow up, do I feel worthy of that? And there was a book, I think, written called The Imposter Syndrome or something like that, Mm -hmm. that links into that. So then how did you, and thanks, Jane, you're doing an awesome job, is how how did uh, Dallas come up? Where Where did this opportunity float into your space to work for that Speakers Bureau down there? I'm just checking that you can hear me, Ken, because my thing just went off. You can hear me okay? Perfectly. Okay. Okay. Well, um, again, at NSA, I had met a Canadian Olympic athlete named Vince Pacenti. He was a speed skier and he was dating a girl who ran a speakers bureau down there called International Speakers Bureau. And Mm -hmm. so he brought me down to, we, he he knew that I was uh, thinking about leaving Vancouver. And he said, would you consider coming to Dallas? And I really wasn't sure that this was going to be a good move for me. Um, but I went down and interviewed and I took a chance. We actually took a huge chance on each other. Vince and I did. And he, um, he couldn't afford me at all. I mean, not even a little bit. So I go from the corner office and private jets and helicopters back to poverty. And basically our deal is that Vince is going to pay my bills for me. That's how it's going to work because um, we, you know, he really can't afford a salary or, or anything like that. And so I go and I look at the booking board to see what we've got cooking. Like I'm, I am going to be paid commission on speaking engagements and he's got two engagements booked at some pretty low fees. And uh, I get a little nervous about that, but we persevere and we go head down 
Uh, he decides, you know, he's going to work really hard and make the speech good, which was an, very imperative to our success. He was okay, but he uh, he got great while we were together. And so three years later, boom, we hit all of our markers and we go from zero to 80 engagements a year. Um, we go from like 2,500 to probably 10, 12,000 and things are just going um, fabulously. So, so interesting, again, again, down Jane, you, you leave gem, uh, gems along the way here constantly, <laughs> is how does a person go from like basically zero to, you know, 80 engagements at 10 grand a piece? I mean, how does that happen in three years for people? You, you so, hear about this. Yeah, I know. You're thinking, well, what are, what, what, are the, what are the critical, I'll call it success points or strategies that you implemented to cause this to occur? I would say that the majority of that was focused hustle. You know, I had a good product to sell. We finally got a good video, which made a huge difference. And um, remind me to share with you my ready and fire philosophy, because that's what everything that I do now is based on. And and so many people kept asking me, well, how did you make Vince so successful? And I thought, oh, I better write it down. And so I developed this kind of ready and fire formula. But he got really, really good. So that's number one is be great at whatever you're selling. Num- the product was great. And then number two, our marketing was great, which meant that we, I was really good at reaching out to people on a regular basis to keep them abreast of what was going on. And I had to overcome a huge hurdle, Ken. And that was that I worked under the roof of a speaker's bureau and the other bureaus didn't trust us. They didn't think that if I took in a client that the bureau that we housed with would find out about who that client was. And so they were really nervous and it took us a long time to get some of the bureaus on board. But we did have a separate database and over time, I finally got even, you know, the toughest nuts to crack and it was just persistence. And um, uh, we did the call, send, call idea right up until videos started going online. And so we were still doing packets at Vince's office. Uh, we, We would call, identify that there was going to be a need, send out a video, a VHS video, or maybe a DVD at, at later times. Um, and then we would follow up. And I had a system for that. It was back in ACT at the at that. We used the CRM called ACT, A-C-T right. at the time. And, you know, since Salesforce and Sales Karma and all those have come along. Um, and uh, that's how I knew who I needed to call that day. And, and eventually we got so busy working in the business that it was hard to keep those funnels going, but luckily we had really good marketing to keep it going. Wow. Now you, so you technically didn't work for the speakers bureau. You were exclusively with Vince then. I did four years for Vince, And then I, once I was kind of finished, he and I recognized that we were at the end of our term and, we didn't want to leave each other because we also had a great, you know, it's like a marriage when you when you do this role with somebody. And so I didn't want to leave. So I actually did work two years. I transferred over and began working for the Speakers Bureau and I managed their exclusives division. But I was in on all the bureau meetings and the growth of the company. We went from there were three or four of us and a dog at the first days. 
And then we were probably at the height, maybe about 30 people. Wow. And so that was very interesting. And I was a part of all of that. Like I was in on all of their meetings and um, had some influence on their growth as well. Okay. So you're down in Dallas and you have an epiphany. So what motivated you to get a coach? Where did that come from? Actually, so his name was Rich Fetke. I don't know if you know him, but he was um, a big, um, I'm trying to think of where I got, where I got certified in coaching. It's not coming to my mind right at the moment. Um, I can't think of it. Uh, Anyway, he uh, came out to Dallas to try to get booked by the Speakers Bureau and we met. And I think... I I think we decided that I was going to try to book him as a part of our exclusives and then <clears throat> he would coach me. So we did like a little reciprocal arrangement. I probably couldn't afford his coaching fees at that point. It was, you know, maybe $500 a month or something. And I was still on my way up. And so uh, we had a great win-win and uh, I I really give him a lot of credit for the life that I lived you know, today, because he helped me to design it. It was all by design. It's crazy. It's crazy, Ken. (laughs) Mm. So you just really identified, you know, what is it you wanted? Don't worry about the how right now. What is that that uh, Jane wanted? So what did you decide at that time when you went through that process? What, What were you shifting from a lifestyle and a desire point of view? So I'd always been single. And, you know, I had lots of boyfriends and what have you, but, you know, not, it had been a long time since about I'd had a four year relationship. So I'd always been single. I decided I wanted to be in a long term relationship. I didn't really want to have children out of my body, but I said I wanted to have children around me. I wanted to have a beautiful home with a view. And, you know, basically I was picturing Christmases with this room full of people. And this is me, single old me living down in Dallas, no prospects on the horizon. You know, my parents are up here in Canada still and they come and visit me a lot. And uh, yeah, this just wasn't even, it it didn't even look like it was possible. Mm. So then what? So... I was with the Bureau for a couple of years. I remembered that, you know, it was kind of planted in the back of my psyche and uh, 9-11 happened and I'm living in Dallas and I'm, they, they, they evacuate us all from downtown Dallas that day. And that's home of American Airlines. And of course, already three, I think of their jets have gone and I'm driving, looking up at the sky thinking, oh my gosh, like what is going to happen? What is going on? What is going on? And so I was inside, you know, bawling my eyes out for three days. And I finally went for a walk around the lake. I had a great uh, home there on the lake with a view. I was getting there. And um, I decided I was going to come back to Canada. So I um, packed up. I didn't know where I wanted to live. I actually just decided, okay, I'm going to land in Calgary. My brother was out there. I had two brothers there at the time. And I thought, I'll just go to Calgary and we'll see what happens. And that's when I started my own company called Speaker Launcher. So I think it was about, oh gosh, maybe like 14 years ago or something like that. Not very good with dates. And so um, I was able to transition 
to, I had bought a condo down in uh, Dallas, so I sold that and bought a new one up in um, Calgary. And I was able to transition fairly seamlessly because uh, Karen Harris, who you may know of CMI Speakers, she actually hired me to manage some of her exclusives with the bureau business that she had down in the States. And that Karen and I me. talked last week. There you go. <laughs> it's a small world again. It so is. she was so um, pivotal in me being able to transition into this business so seamlessly. So because I had an income with her, you know, I got uh, several clients. While I was still down in Dallas, I think I got my first client. And um, it, I don't know how, but I just hit the ground running. And then I went and got some coaches training. Oh, CTI, that's what it's called, Coaches Training Institute. And I learned how to kind of become a coach and I hit the ground running. And when I was sitting in the room and people, the instructor was saying, uh, well, how much do you earn per hour of your time or whatever? Um, everybody was going around and talking about how much they made. And it, I didn't say any numbers. I just thought in the back of my mind, well, I'm going to blow that out of the water. And I have. I've, I've said I'm not going to be a quote unquote coach. I'm going to be a consultant slash advisor slash coach and kind of build my own path to um, mm-hmm. what I deemed was going to be. And, and I've since learned how to stop trading my time for money so that I can see more happening in terms of growth. You know, I'm right now in the process of really figuring out how to scale much bigger. And, well, and congratulations on that. Now, I want to step back just for a moment, Jane, as we go through it. Uh, by the way, fascinating sort of journey <laughs> as you've kept the uh, the pedal, the foot on the pedal throughout your lifetime. And, you know, we've met at different times. I've phoned you at different times and said, hey, Jane, come work <laughs> for me too. <laughs> I want some of what you're doing to rub off. But let's just now move into your space that you're in now. And you, you talked about... Um, your ready, aim, fire uh, format. Yeah. So we have about uh, 10 or 12 minutes left in the show. So it's, so it's it, how quickly it goes, right? <laughs> and I think you've left already, you know, several sort of encouragement to individuals there. But when we think about the industry and working with speakers, and guess what? It, it's for everybody. It applies to everybody. Mm-hmm. When people are struggling, so your speakers, your trainers, whatever, are struggling, and they're not getting to the level that they need to get to or would like to get to. What are some of the insights you're discovering about them? What, what is it that's missing from them? And then we'll get into your ready, aim, fire uh, process. Well, so when, I look at, sorry, when I look at my most successful clients, and we just ran an event with them last fall, so this is very top of mind. Uh, what I recognized was that they were out there hustling. and I. I don't think I had really thought about that to that degree before. And so when people come to me and they're not getting the results that they want, it's very likely that they're not putting the output out there that they, that they need to in order to. So give me a quick example. Kendra Hall, she comes to me two years ago and says, you know, I want to be that guy. You know, the one that you were just talking about who was so successful making a million dollars a year. I say, okay, well, we're going to have to hustle. And she does. She puts out 600 emails over six weeks, 100 emails a week for six weeks. And these uh, are one-on-one. 
Very, very one on one. These are not group uh, send it out to list of 10,000 yeah, no, people. No, this isn't a broadcast. These are customized emails that say, you know, I would like to come and speak for the American. She started with the American Marketing Association because she was speaking on storytelling and how that could help uh, your business. And so she put a business spin on it and she said, I think I'm a good fit. Let me tell you why. And then she mapped out what storytelling was about and she had a good video. And so boom, 600 emails and her career, she said it felt like she was pushing the boulder up the hill and then we met and now she's the boulders chasing her and they're going down the hill and she has a whole new set of problems. So, or a whole new set of things that, you know, she needs to learn in the business. So focus hustle is what's required. And for the people that aren't getting there, um, it could be a part of this ready aim fire process that we'll get to, or it could be that they're just not pulling the numbers. Mm. Now there's lots of people out there doing activity. They're busier than ever. They're social media posts. They're, mm-hmm. you know, posting, they're on YouTube, they're on their Facebook page, they're on LinkedIn, they're doing Instagram, but they're not getting traction. Uh, you know, this could be, this could apply to anybody that's out there. If mm-hmm. you're an employee, that's a little bit different, but you know, any business. Uh, how, how is that different than hustle? Well, I think the word in front of that is focus hustle. Um, it, it could be that all of their messages aren't pointing towards the same place. And mm. so that's a part of the ready, aim, fire process. Let me, let me map it out for you and then let's, we'll let's go, go right into it. Jane. Okay. So in the ready phase, we get crystal clear on what we're selling. And that's a piece that some people tend to miss and they don't really pick a lane, meaning decide what topic they're going to be known for. And then we develop some marketing language around that. I call it a promise statement. Some people call it a tagline or there's some other names for it. So that's what we do in the ready phase. And then once we have that, we move into aim. And in the aim phase, we make sure that our marketing materials and in this day and age, really, it's only about the website. Um, We make sure that the marketing materials have that same level of clarity. And only when that is done, do we move into fire, i.e. we roll it out to our target markets that we've kind of had in in mind all along. And so I think what will happen is people will go out and they'll have some success speaking and they're good speakers, but they don't have that kind of strong business foundation. And so they miss some of the pieces in the ready aim fire process. Maybe they don't have the clarity. Maybe they don't have kind of the systems and infrastructure in place to take it through to fire. And um, that's why, you know, the Wealthy Speaker 2.0, we map the whole thing out for you. And so you're clarifying that's a, a um, audio program that you've put together? No, uh, the Wealthy Speaker 2.0 is a book. Oh, it's book. Been, yeah, it's been my book that I've had now. And I, I wrote the first version 10 years ago and then the second version it's just a few years old because there were lots of updates. Now, Jane, just in case uh, we have some speakers or trainers that want to find out about your work, how might they uh, contact you? They could come on over and see us at speakerlauncher.com. And depending on when your uh, recording goes to uh, public, we'll, we might have an event coming up. We've got some live events that we're doing the end of February in Florida, and then we have an online course that we offer for brand new speakers. There's a number of things available. We kind of have three buckets 
that we put our clients into emerging speakers and then intermediate and then seasoned speakers. And the seasoned speakers will often be the ones that become private coaching clients. Right. So thank you for that, for that, Jane. Now, Jane, you know, when you think about all the people that you've worked with and you've um, helped individuals to be successful in life in whatever sort of context, beyond hustle, what would be the characteristics or traits of the successful people that have been around you that you have worked with over the last 30 years? I think it's got to be continuous improvement. That's got to be the thing that has been, you know, they keep educating themselves. Sure, they've got a great speech, but is it epic? You know, let's let's make it epic. Um, there, there's just a constant drive for getting better every single day. And I think that any entrepreneur needs to have that or else they will become stagnant and perhaps even a little bit bored with their business. Well, interesting, Jane, you just shared in a blog post about how that happened for you with Lisa. Lisa Larder. Yes. Yeah. On how you were developing and how even right at this point, you were being pushed to think further outside of the box than before. Yeah. And I, I have, a, I go to a coach, um, I, at my coach, I go to strategic coach, Dan Sullivan, and they are constantly talking to us about how do we develop a 10 times business, which for me, I thought, oh, gosh, that's crazy. I'm not going to be able to do 10 times. But then I recognized I've already done it. So that was interesting to kind of identify. You probably have gone 10 times what you started at. Um, but Lisa then helped me really develop the three buckets and figure out more of the how. I think it's so helpful to have people in your life who can see you differently than you see yourself. She, Lisa said to me, well, you know, you're not charging enough as a coach, right? And I had just raised my fees maybe six months earlier. And um, I went, you know what? You're right. And I raised them again because uh, it, I wasn't in line with what the industry uh, standards were. And I had let fear dictate that for too long. And so you're right. It's, sometimes it just takes somebody else to say to you, hey, you realize this, right? You know, you're not charging enough or whatever it might be, how much value you have around um, something that you offer. Anyway, her input was fantastic. And just for the listeners, Lisa is a marketing specialist and uh, lives in uh, Nova Scotia, Canada. So thank you, Jane, for being on the show. Just to kind of wrap it up, any last words of wisdom that you would leave the audience as far as them realizing their potential in living a life of purpose, what could you finally well, leave with them? I think it's that anything is possible because to, to give you the full circle of what I had set out with Rich, my coach, um, today I have been married for 10 years, my wonderful husband, John. I became a, um, a stepmom and a G-ma all on the same day. My, I have now three grandchildren. And uh, we live in a home looking over the river and we just bought a cottage up north that is right on the lake. And, you know, 15 years ago, I would have never dreamed that these things were possible. And I can just see my dad up in heaven, you know, looking down and laughing. Oh, there she goes again. That She's got that horseshoe in place. <laughs> and, you know, it is it is luck 
but it's also um, it's also hustle. <laughs> and if you don't know where you're going, then how can you get you get exactly. there? Well, Jane, thank you for spending the time with us on the show today. We sure appreciate it. I'm most appreciated. Thank you, Ken. Well, listeners, that has been Jane Atkinson. And, you know, when we think about Secrets of Success podcast, we're trying to leave you some insights, some ideas, some possibilities for you to go to the next level. So Jane's really teaching us, you know, hustle does pay off, especially if it's focused. And so if you don't know where you're going, that's another part. Are you clear? And if you don't have the clarity, is there somebody around you that can help you? And in addition to that, are you associating and hanging out with people that can take you to the next level? As always, we thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing, leave some positive comments, share it, pass it on. And you have been listening to the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the Secrets of Success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.